This is The New Activist, a weekly show that features conversations with activists and leaders tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of the war against injustice. My name is Eddie Goffolds, and I am kind of sick, and I'm losing my voice, but it is still a joy to be with you today. Our guest on the show is Sarah Corbett. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation that I got to have with Sarah. Sarah is the mind behind the Craftivist Collection. That's right, Craft and activist put together craftivist collective and she is the author of a recent book how to be a craftivist the art of gentle protest she is an amazing person i was introduced to her through our friend brandon harvey remember he founded the good news paper and we had him on the show in i think it was like november december of 2017 and he said you gotta check out sarah with craftivist and to be honest with you my first thought was i don't really do crafting I mean, I know it's great, and I'm not judging people that do, but it's just not really a thing that I do. And I kind of thought, oh gosh, is this really going to be a group of people that are actually, uh, you know, doing anything? Or are they just kind of sitting around and creating little pointless treasures, which it was terrible. And I'm embarrassed to say it out loud now, but I thought, you know what? It, I need to learn from different people. And so we invited Sarah to be on the show and graciously she accepted. And then she sent me her book, which was very generous of her. And, you know, we get sent books every once in a while. But this was, I, you just knew immediately that Sarah was going to be a different kind of guest because the book came in a wrapping that I can only describe as immaculate. It was a special brown paper around the book, folded in a way that I have no idea how she did it, but it just looked perfect. It had a little bow on the outside of it and a lovely inscription inside of the book with a bookmark. And it was just so thoughtful. And and, and that level of detail and that thoughtfulness drew me into, into the book and drew me into going deeper and deeper in the book and finally realizing what the art of gentle protest is. So I am just really thrilled for you to also fall into what being a craftivist is. Here is Sarah Corbett. Your book is titled How to Be a Craftivist, The Art of the Gentle Protest, which I feel like I have to say in a gentle way, the art of the gentle protest. <laughs> um, can you define craftivist for us, please? I can try. Um, yeah, I know. So I know you wrote a whole book defining <laughs> it. So if you could. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a whole chapter on what is craftivism. Yeah. So it was the word craftivism is basically the word activism and craft mushed up together. So it was coined in 2003 by an American lady called Betsy Greer. Um, and she says it's, you know, craft plus activism equals craftivism. And then how it's about people um, using their voice for good. My background in activism, um, and I used to work for different charities as a campaigner and grew up in an activist family. Um, and there's lot, I always say craftivism is a little bit like the word punk. You know, when you think of punk music, you've mm -hmm. got all these different bands that sound completely different from the Ramones to the Sex Pistols to Blondie, and they're all under that umbrella. And then you have these very different um, sounds and musicians and craftivisms like that. If you Google craftivism, you'll see people yarn bombing, which is knitting around lampposts or um, different objects, people crocheting, 
quilts, um, <laughs> lots of different things. And I focus on gentle protest and I always use craft as my tool for activism, but it's not the taskmaster. So I'm pretty strict on when craftivism is the best tool to use in activism and when I don't use it. Um, and then I have a manifesto that goes through why we use, we do craftivism in a particular way, which is our gentle protest um, approach, which is all about using the process of craft to slow down and think critically and calmly and lovingly, giving gifts to people, whether it's a politician or someone, um, a decision maker, someone of a, a, in a position of power that you know, or small pieces um, of street art to leave around for people to to think so you're not preaching at them but you're trying to provoke thought and action um, and it's all done in a very gentle way and gentle not as in passive or weak but you know very much for me it's about the fruit of the spirit of gentleness of being extremely loving emotionally intelligent sensitive treating people how you want to be treated and doing it you know your activism in a very careful courageous and compassionate way so it is about protest it's about change in systems and structures behaviors or cultures that are causing people or the planet to you know not be able to fulfill their potential so it is protesting but in a very loving way and i use craft to do that not the easiest description no, sorry no 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 well it's well it's a it's a big idea and so it, it shouldn't be able to yeah. be just boiled down to a you know a pithy little thesis statement um, but, and but I didn't coin the word craftivism, so yeah. you know I, I don't want to say that I did. So you know it's a, it's a word that existed, and Betsy Gree is very happy for people to interpret it in different ways. And so I very much see the strength of craft and activism for gentle protest. You know, you could crochet a voodoo doll of a political leader in the world, and that's craftivism. But I would say that you know not only is it unhelpful I'd say it's quite harmful to demonize and objectify people and and you know be very simplistic or focus on personality not policy so you can do that form of of craftivism um but I'd focus on where I think it can be more helpful in that gentle protest way well let's if you if if you don't mind, I'd love to talk through a little bit of kind of each of those points that you brought up because first you kind of spoke about the idea of being, and you talk about it in the book. You talk about this idea of being mindful as as you're creating, and I'm I'm curious, yeah. um, what what is that? I, you, you'll have to forgive me. I'm not someone who has done a, a lot of like crafting of this nature. I do some creative things, but I've never sat mm -hmm. and like you know stitched something just you know, you know very methodically working through a project and so i'm wondering mm -hmm. what what does that mindfulness what does it actually look like in the moment when three or four people are sitting around a table together quietly stitching yeah i mean the first thing to say is i don't i wasn't a crafter before i started doing craftivism you know i loved to paint and draw when i was little but i learned a few things in school with handicrafts but not a lot um i learned to craft from youtube so i always say you know anyone can do our craftivist collective <laughs> projects because if i can do it anyone can do it <laughs> what's lovely about craft that i think is different to art activism is craft feels like a lower bar it feels much more accessible you're using your hands but often and for me, it felt more accessible because, you know, cross-stitch, you're doing lots of crosses and following a pattern or you're doing repetitive actions and you can see the difference 
that you make, but it's not a blank canvas that can scare people. You know, there is rules and restrictions and instructions, and I think that's actually really helpful. I The first thing I noticed when I picked up a, a cross-stitch kit, it was very small of a teddy, and I took it on a train to Glasgow because at the time, which was 10 years ago now, I loved to paint and draw, but my job, I was a full-time activist in my job, um, and I was also involved in lots of campaign groups outside of work, and I was exhausted. I was completely burnt out, and I also get travel sick. So on yeah. trains, I thought, okay, I've got reports to write and emails to do, but I'm going to feel sick. I want to paint or draw or use my hands in a creative way, um, which I'm sure you can resonate with. You know, if you're tapping away so much and on against a blue screen and doing lots of online work or paperwork, anyone that loves being creative, you sort of get itchy fingers that like you want to make something. Yeah. So I picked up a cross-stitch kit because it felt accessible and small and something I could try out and use my hands. And I talk about mindful activism and how craft can help with that because the first thing I noticed, and my plan was never to mix craft with activism. I didn't know it existed. And it was just, I wanted to do something on a train um, where I didn't feel sick or, you know, doing right. lots more work. But I immediately noticed with the handicraft that I use, which is hand embroidery or paper craft, just separate and thread, which you needed for this cross-stitch kit. You can't do it fast unless you know a fast way to do it. You have to naturally separate the thread very slowly so it doesn't break or ravel up into knots. So I immediately noticed and was very mindful of how my body was because by separating the thread I could see how impatient I was I saw how shaky my hands were which I'd never really noticed before because I was exhausted and stressed and quite anxious about whether I could continue being an effective campaigner um, and then by doing every repetitive action which handicraft is particularly good at because it's often lots of the same stitch so you can do this repetitive action which is very comforting because you can see that you're making a difference, you're making something, which is very empowering when you feel so disempowered about injustice in the world. But also once your hands know what to do, you, you get muscle memory. So once your hands know what to do, you start to think about other things, like what are you going to have for your tea, what's on your to-do list. And it was a very comforting space because you're using your hands for me to then ask myself very uncomfortable questions that I'd been avoiding so I could have this comforting empowering activity to then say to myself am I being an effective activist and am I training people up to be effective activists or am I a clicktivist or a slacktivist am I treating people to be robotic in lots of ways just signing lots of petitions is it right to, to shout and demonize other human beings, even if they've done wrong things? That doesn't feel right to me as a Christian and, and as a citizen. But because you're using your hands, and it's quite hard to describe this on a podcast because I think you know when, when you do it. Yeah. Because you're using your hands, it's a, very, it's a bit of a safety net to ask yourself those tough questions without going into a downward spiral. It sort of balances you out. And there's lots now, which there wasn't at the, 10 years ago, there's lots of evidence now from clinicians and neuroscience and scientists 
about how using your hands with a repetitive action helps with anger management, helps with suicidal tendencies, helps with self-harm, helps with empowerment, and also helps with that critical thinking. So the, the process made me very mindful of how my body was and was, was I treating it well or being sluggish, made me very mindful of the baggage I was bringing to activism because I was asking myself these tough questions. Um, and also mindful of, you know, was I trying to, was I getting frustrated because it wasn't finished really quick? Was I getting, um, you know, angry that it wasn't perfect? It makes you, you can use it to be very mindful of what you're bringing to your activism as well as your craft. But you could also just think about who's going to win Strictly Come Dancing. So, you know, I think <laughs> if you, to use craftivism well, use that process to be mindful, which is why I have a whole chapter on use the process to be a mindful activist and then use the process to be a critical thinker and use craft to thought questions that I have in all of my projects for you to, that are difficult questions, but really help you become a, a more effective activist and craftivist of using the process in that way. And part of this too, is not just the act of creation, but you're also, and, and kind of that meditating contemplative mm -hmm. time of the creation but also you're creating something um yeah or, i mean really it seems like and again please forgive my ignorance because i'm trying to understand this but it, it seems like we're not just you know stitching flowers onto a napkin which is lovely and fine for certain occasions but in in what yeah. we're talking about here you're creating something that is meant to be i mean i've seen pictures of it they're either inspirational they've got quotes they're you know photos and quotes from well-known activists they're provocative and shocking at times there's there's a act of creating something can you tell me about the items that are being created as a craftivist yeah um i mean i've been honing my craft and craftivism for the last 10 years and i've definitely had projects early on that i cringe looking back at think you know looking back at thinking oh I, you know the message wasn't quite right or you know i might have stitched a really shocking fact a few mm -hmm. years ago and now i'm very careful at making sure that if i stitch that fact it also ends with some suggestion of how you can be part of the positive change and the solution rather than people reading a fact whether it's you know our mini banners are, are cross stitched very small um, rectangles that you hang somewhere relevant to the issue in the public sphere so if you're stitching a quote about climate change you decide whether you want to put it outside your local town hall to engage the local councillors and mayor there or a school to engage the school or if it's you know in a park to try and get nature lovers to to act but it won't just be a shocking fact or statistic it'll end with a question or it'll have dot dot dots for you to think more or it'll have a badge of a particular um, climate change campaign that you can find out more and then see what other ways you can you can be part of that solution so i always focus on how craft Craftivism should be a catalyst. It's not the conclusion. Just by making your craftivism object, it's not the end. It really is the start. And often it's, you know, it's the fun, exciting, attractive start for a lot of people. And then yeah. they realize through the thinking and the process of making and what they're making that then we need to have, you know, boring meetings with our politicians or we need to look at whether you know again thinking about climate change for example whether we can use renewable energies in our home or ask our school to do more recycling or it really is a catalyst for those bigger conversations but also in a very practical way so i'm really keen that people 
use it as a tool to engage people, but always offering solutions or suggestions or um, different places they can be part of that journey. So I love Fashion Revolution, which is a global movement to make the fashion industry as ethical and as beautiful as the, as the clothes can be super beautiful. Um, so our mini fashion statements, which are paper craft, they're little mini scrolls and they're not sewing, but you're handwriting you pick one of three messages that we've created really robustly with psychologists who's checked over it with a, a sustainability communications agency who are incredible. They checked over it to check that, you know, it's the best way to engage people in a nonviolent way that's, that's provoking thought, but in a gentle way and not telling people what to do, but trying to help them take ownership of what to do. So there'll be three messages to pick from in our little kits. And you pick the one that resonates the most with you. And then you write it in your neatest handwriting, like you're back at school, um, in your prettiest handwriting for the person who's going to find it. And just by writing this message, you're not going to write a message that you don't take ownership of. So by deciding to write it and you write in it neatly, it really helps the message sink into you so one of the messages is about you know um what's this item of what's the story behind this item of clothing that the little message is dropped into one of the pockets is it a story of beauty and joy in the making of it or is it a story of pain find out join the fashion revolution and then it has at fashion rev at the bottom so you can google that and see all of the ways that you can be part of the solution in lots of different ways and then we shop drop them so it's the opposite of shoplifting so you go to, to fashion stores that you think could improve so whether it's fast fashion stores or ones that um don't treat their garment work as well and you just drop them in a pocket of a shirt or a, a pair of trousers for someone to find and it's no completely way. anonymous yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a little subversive isn't it it's subversive but it's completely anonymous it's small yeah. everything we do is about being small and beautiful not big and brash and then every element is being thought through so the colors of the ribbon are either purple turquoise or mauve because they're seen as luxury colors so it makes people feel like it's something valuable than if it's just a piece of string the paper wow. we use is that speckled paper from watercolor paper, but it's all recycled <laughs> because there's lots of psychology around if you engage people in two senses or more, they remember it and feel the experience more, so it's more memorable. And then it says on the outside in a fountain pen or an ink pen, so again, very beautiful, not not capital letters, not in a cheap biro pen. It says, please open me in your neatest case of handwriting with a smiley face and a kiss. And then whoever hmm. finds that little scroll are more intrigued and curious to open it. Because they choose to open it, it means that they're gonna read the message with more of an open heart and an open mind than if they're screamed at with a megaphone or if it's you know outside the shop shaming them or judging them. The message is non, um, non-judgmental. It doesn't tell you what to do, but it asks you to be curious as someone who loves fashion or who is interested. And it also means that people who can only afford to buy in cheap shops don't feel judged or labeled. They can still feel part of the solution by going to Fashion Revolution and seeing what they can do in different ways if they can't boycott or if they can't afford different, um, more expensive clothes. You know, there isn't one size fits all. And because it's anonymous, I think as well, it means that it's not about us. You know, it really is a humble form of activism to say, you don't have to share this with people, you don't have to tweet it, but you can really use it to think about 
you know, think about who made your clothes and sort of spread those seeds. So we have very different projects. Some are wearable activism. Some are given gifts to power holders to change a very specific law or policy. You know, the mini fashion statements were much more about engaging people who wouldn't normally be part of the fashion revolution that was very much online. And that was also a way that I knew that with that project, my aim was to get into as many um, media outlets as we could who didn't um, cover the fashion revolution campaign because they saw it possibly as negative. So we got on the homepage of BBC News, which is one of the top five news outlets in the world. We got a double page spread in the Guardian newspaper. We got onto fashion blogs and news um, outlets that had never covered fashion revolution before because what we did was very beautiful, gentle and positive and encouraging saying we love fashion and we want everyone to be part of the the solutions and the fashion revolution so every project has a very different um objective and strategy i I will tell you my bias coming in just not understanding it and having right before you kindly sent me the book was like what does it matter that we're just crafting yeah (laughs) like how is crafting gonna end gonna help racial reconciliation was my honest bias like kind of terrible thought was like what is it but i I mean when i hear it i think oh this sounds privileged this sounds fluffy when there's so much injustice in the world you know should we really be sewing but actually (laughs) you know that the element the more i learn because i read a, a huge amount on psychology and neuroscience and you know the power of color and fonts and you know what questions what language to use you know the more I learn the more I can put it into that craftivism to make it as effective as possible so I love that when you are crafting together as a group whether that's with your friends at home or with complete strangers at an event we I've just done three um, free events at the British Museum where we had a hundred people at every event complete strangers most of them um, but what's incredible is you, because you're sitting near people who are doing something similar but you don't have to give each other eye contact. So unlike lots of activist groups, which I would join and still am part of, it can be quite intimidating to be around a table, discuss an issue you're going to campaign on. And if you disagree or want to challenge it, you know, it's quite scary for some, you know, for someone like me who's an introvert and doesn't like conflict. I tend to avoid um, those meetings because it's quite stressful. But with a craftivism event and group session, you can feel much safer because you don't have to look at each other in the eyes, but you can still ask questions. And what's hmm. impre- what I love is that people, and it's there's quotes throughout the book to show that I'm not just you know making it all up. What's incredible is how people listen to each other while they're stitching. And again, because you're using your hands, it's less aggressive. You're more open to listening to other people. People share stuff that afterwards they say, oh my word, I had no idea I was going to be so open and honest with people, but it's really helped me think through the issue. People discuss the craft of thought question together and say, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? Um, And one story I love is in Stockholm, I had an exhibition for five weeks and we had lots of workshops as part of it. And we had a a woman who would call herself an anarchist and she was a single mom, very angry about um, the harm she'd see in the world. And she sat next to someone who worked in diplomacy, who worked at the embassy, who was a very different type of person. But the anarchist mum 
could help um, the person in the embassy with her stitching and her thread and her needle. And what was great is they were, you know, quite nervous of each other at first, sitting alongside each other. But because they helped each other in different ways, the person who worked in the embassy could say to this this mother, you know, tell me more about why you're an anarchist. And then the mom, Jess, who's in the book, could say like, well, tell me more about diplomacy and embassies and what's the point of them. And they had this very respectful conversation because one our workshops are a minimum of an hour so you sit there knowing mm. that you've got time to ask questions and you're not rushing you're helping each other you're sharing scissors in all of our workshops we have grapes for people to share so it's very communal we have instrumental music so that people who are nervous of silence did you say grapes we have grapes did you say yeah so like the fruit grapes yeah, yeah. So the fruit grapes are a healthy snack and it means that people <laughs> share and it creates a very safe space. And what I love about craftivism, and I'm also very proactive to reach people who don't see themselves as activists or who are burnt out or who might be nervous to come along to something if they're not sure what their view is, um, knowing that, you know, they know from our images on, on social media and the website that we have grapes, we have flowers, we have nice music. I spray lavender scent in the room that calms people down who are angry or wow. anxious. So it's all of these incredible little elements that I love about our beautiful, messy world that I incorporate into my craftivism that just enhances it. You know, it's not just a ball of thread it's the colors we use the fonts we use the textures we use the types of questions we ask each other how you know people treat each other well during the session and sort of monitor each other um of of not talking too much or um you know dismissing things people are very it does create an incredible space having craft as this hook for gentle protest the intentionality of this is pretty unbelievable i mean the <laughs> you have you have thought of really i mean even when you know, spraying lavender in the air because mm. it's calming the amount of research that you've yeah. done that this isn't anecdotal this isn't feelings this is backed by research this is a way mm. to approach having difficult conversations and yeah. then also to create something that provokes further conversation further action which kind of leads me to the end of it which is what have you heard back? What, what, how has, what have you heard back from, you know, someone that found a little note inside of a shirt at a store? What have, what, what results have you heard from this? Yeah. I mean, I love that people email me. Often people email me with long essays of how they took part in, you know, they might have just bought a kit and how it's unraveled a lot of thought for them and changed the way they do things or whether they come along to a workshop or, or read the book. I, I love hearing all of the different anecdotes. Um, recently so with the mini scrolls we you can't well one it's really hard to measure activism as you know and measure your impact with the mini scrolls right. they're purposefully they there's no branding on it we have our little scissors and thread embossed on um the the pieces of paper again for more texture and to feel more beautiful and valued but you can't unless people know it's from us um you don't, the person who finds it doesn't know it's us, which I think is a strength in that particular campaign. A lot of our others, you do know it's us. But I recently um, had an email from 
from a craftivist who I'm going to read it out because I won't do justice if I try and yeah, it's not too I love long. That. And she says, um, I just, so she helped at our workshop doing the mini fashion statement, mini scrolls, which we did as one of the three at the British Museum. And she said, I just wanted to let you know that since we did that workshop, I've really changed my approach to shopping and I'm carefully selecting products which have been ethically, sustainably produced and looked into the company and its ethos. I've kept a scroll in my bag as a prompt for myself and it's really helped hugely so thank you and you know I didn't ask for that and it just popped up in my emails and I thought you know it is hard to measure what we do it can look like it is you know a fluffy privileged thing to do but I also think it's an incredible if it's done well it's an incredible tool in the activism toolkit that we need you know where we have most tools in the activism toolkit are loud or extrovert a lot of them are not loving sadly you know we should be angry about injustice but we need to know how to channel it and be self-controlled and emotionally intelligent and to get that type of message makes me think, you know, it's still worth doing what I'm doing. But at the same time, you know, we did one campaign where we were asking, you know, the company Marks and Spencers in America. It's a, it's a, an English, you know, institution. Lots of people buy their yeah. their knickers and socks yeah. in Marks and Spencers. And I was asked, <laughs> I was asked, I work a lot with different charities as a consultant or as a collaborator. And I had Share Action, who do shareholder activism. And for three years, they'd asked for one meeting with the CEO of Marks and Spencers to discuss the option of them becoming a living wage employer, which they currently weren't. And the CEO kept saying no. So the the um, chief executive of Share Action, the charity, the director said, I've just read your little book because this was before my big book came out. And it's so weird. And we've tried every traditional form of activism um, and I just think you might be able to do something because we can't get anywhere and we just need a meeting. So I had, um, I said, okay, well, who's above the CEO of Marks and Spencers? It's the board members. There's 14 board members. They're often not um, contacted from activists, but they're, if the CEO isn't going to listen to us, he will listen to the board members. So we made very bespoke gifts for Marks and Spencer's board members. I got 14 craftivists from the UK because it was a UK-based campaign. Most of our other projects are global um, and anyone can take part anywhere in the world and at any time. And I found 14 craftivists that either were loyal customers of Marks and Spencer's or looked like they were. So I knew that the board members would listen to them more than maybe 14-year-old anarchists in hoodies that would never walk into Marks and Spencers. And we made them bespoke handkerchiefs on Marks and Spencers handkerchiefs saying, don't blow it, use your power for good. We, oh, know, you've, we know you've got a difficult job, but we huh. really want you to do the best job you can. And then we wrote long letters saying why the living wage didn't only make business sense in terms of profit, staff retention, PR, efficiency, but it also made sense for the dignity of their, you know, their co-workers. And we hand-delivered them and at the AGM. And within 10 months, we then had lots of meetings with them because they, they said they would definitely have a meeting with us and they were shocked by the beauty and the sort of the humility and the quietness of our campaigning. It was very emotive for them. Um, and we had lots of meetings, we gained lots of trust. And within 10 months, the CEO of Marks and Spencers um, proudly said that we're begun, we are now increasing our wage for 50,000 staff to be in line with the living wage. And the 
chair of the board took me aside when we went back to the AGM to say thank you. We went back to say well done you, not well done us, which again is quite refreshing in activism and we Mm. knew it was a difficult Mm. job. And the chair of the board pulled me aside and said it was the most powerful campaign they'd ever experienced. They wouldn't have had a meeting with us if we were outside shouting at them. How it was really lovely for us to acknowledge in our letters that we knew they had a really difficult job with lots of demands, lots of competing issues. And But because we'd made them these very intimate, bespoke gifts that were about them as human beings and not just faceless board members, whenever they met up, in that year, they kept mentioning the living wage because they kept saying, what did your hanky say on it again? And where have you put it? Because we put them in little boxes for each other so they didn't have to look at each other's. It was a very intimate um, oh way of giving gosh. a gift. So, you know, being able to help someone change their mind <laughs> and being able to help 50,000 people have a living wage, you know, there really is power in craftivism if you do it very carefully and gently, which is why I keep doing it. <laughs> Sarah, that is, I, I can feel people leaning into this and wanting to do this. And it's so dignity preserving. I, oh, that's the I really appreciate yeah. for, for the people even that you are protesting against, against probably isn't even the right word, but the people that you're trying to, you know, change, it's still preserving their dignity. And I think that's what's really lacking in activism is, you know, we've got really good at making sure we treat people with dignity who are directly affected. And I grew up in a very low income area where I could see firsthand how people were discriminated against. I felt, you know, even my accent in the UK, it's lessened a lot now that I live in London, but it would, you know, it would really be a barrier for people because of where I came from which was a low-income area and I think we've got really good in activism of treating people with dignity showing we're in solidarity with people having really positive empowering images of those directly affected but we we haven't got to the point where those people in positions of power that we we don't want to topple because that often doesn't work because you get a similar person. You know, we want them to be part of the solution as well. And we need to be humble to know that they have a lot of power that's different to our power and to treat them with dignity and ask them questions rather than demand things. And, you know, just be respectful and and show belief in them that we believe they can do the right thing. There's so much to the art of gentle protest. And I, I, I'm curious, though, how you interpret less gentle protests, more aggressive protests? Because you've said a few times, you know, throwing an egg at someone. And, and I and I hear you. I wouldn't want an egg thrown at me. But at the same time, there are, you know, shouting in the streets protests that have moved the needle. I'm curious. Oh, yeah. I, I, realize it's not, I realize it's not your style, and I respect mm-hmm. that and get that. But I also want to know, like, the value you see if it is aggressive. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm you know, really keen to remind people regularly that craftivism should be seen as one of the many tools in the activism toolkit. And when you see an injustice, you open up that toolkit and you say, okay, what's the best tool to use? So, you know, the Black Lives Matter um, movement I follow and in in the UK it's involved and I'll say okay what where can I be of best use for that and sometimes it's going on a demonstration sometimes it's a march sometimes it's challenging my friend who might not listen to someone else but I've, I'm in an intimate relationship with them where I can challenge them in a different way and I think we need to see where it's helpful you know my 
my favorite activist, which is a strange thing to say, but my favorite activist is Martin Luther King. So I read a lot about what he did. I read his ser- yeah. his books of sermons over and over and over again. He talks a lot about positive psychology, which I incorporate in my work and emotional intelligence. And you look at, you know, I tell everyone to watch the film Selma, which I just think is an incredible tool to be an effective, graceful activist of and where they talk about, you know, when, who are we targeting and what's the best way to engage with them? So there's a scene where they're all eating chicken in a room, him and his core team saying, who do we need to target in Selma to make sure that black people can vote and that we can progress the civil rights movement? Is it the head of police? Is it the mayor? Is it the journalist? Who's the person we need to engage? And what way will they listen? Is it sitting outside the police Mm. station? Is it doing this big march for the national media to see and we make sure that we train everyone in non-violence so that they don't fight back, so that it's even more powerful and emotive for viewers of TV to see that people are beating up other people who are not fighting back, which is an incredible tool um, to progress the, the civil rights movement. And I think all of that's important. So I'm I get nervous of people who say, I'm going to set up a craftivist group and we're just going to do craftivism. I'm quite, you know, I'm quite challenging in my book to say, when is craft useful? When is it not? You can use the craftivism group to do some crafts to discuss another campaign where craft isn't involved. And that's a a lovely thing to do with your groups and your, you know, with your grapes and your music and your, you know, use the process to discuss and, and create these strategies. Um, sometimes you give anonymous gifts, sometimes you, you, you know, do the street art, but we have to always put the activism first and say, what's the best tool for that? So what's the injustice that we see and what's the best way in that context at that time to engage that issue? So I absolutely um boycott some companies, other companies, I'll buy from them as a customer, or I'll even buy a share in that company so I can be a shareholder activist. You know, some of my mm. some of my friends work for what a lot of, of environmental activists would say are evil companies. And I'm friends with these people and we have challenging discussions. But what's wonderful is I hear what they're doing that's good on the inside as well as I can challenge them on the bad practices and vice versa. And that friendship is really important to not be in silos. So I absolutely agree that we should be angry and stand up when we see injustice. But I also think that whatever tool we use, whether it's shouting or protests or demonstrations or media or rallies, we can still do all of those things in a gentle, loving way. You know, Martin Luther King used all of those tools. Gandhi used all of those tools. But they did it in such a respectful, um, strategic and moral way that it made it even harder for people to dismiss. And the reason I don't like people throwing eggs at people is because it weakens the issue. It distracts from the the change you want to see because what it means, and I speak to a lot of politicians as part of my job, but what it means is that politician who might be against what you, um, you know, if you're talking about extreme capitalism, for example, which, you know, there was lots of right. demonstrations on that. I agree that there should extreme capitalism is not helpful, um, but capitalism is also helpful in lots of ways as well. And, you know, it's not one or the other. But when people started throwing bricks at windows, what was incredible to see was the media just focused on one brick going through a window 
near all of the banks in London when 99% of the protesters were, were peacefully protesting, asking really thoughtful questions of bankers and politicians. But the media focused on that brick and then the politicians who were against, um, you know, having reigning in extreme capitalism, all they focused on was saying, we can't talk to people who are throwing bricks at windows. So you're given an excuse, mm. you're, you know, you know, you're, you're weakening your campaign. And if the campaign is the most important thing, which it should be, then whether you feel better for throwing something at a window in the short term, it's not about you. It's about doing the best for that campaign. Um, and that involves a lot of self-control. It involves humility. It involves encouraging people who've done awful things and learning from Mandela and Tutu of how they worked with people who directly oppressed them for decades because they knew that if they didn't work with them to end apartheid, there'd be a civil war. So it's very humbling, I think, to look throughout history of of where changes happened and where things have been weakened. Um, and I think it's, again, comes back to common sense of if you scream at someone and label them as an awful human being, you're more likely to encourage them in that awfulness because they feel that you, you're seeing them as inhuman than if you said, you know, lots of mums who might be listening know the power of when you say to your child, right. I'm not angry, I'm disappointed which is much more powerful than saying you awful human being, because what you're saying is yes. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed because I know you, you can do better than this. I know that you're not as selfish as you've just done that act or you're not as lazy. I know that you're a wonderful human being. So I'm disappointed that you've, you've done something that's not in your character. That's much more powerful to say to someone than you're awful, which actually encourages them to do more awful things. Sarah, the last question that we usually ask on this show is how would you define activist? And you've defined craftivist for us today. And I was struck when, when I was reading your book that you actually defined activist really beautifully fairly early in the book as you were sort of laying out the framework of what is craft, what is activist, what is craftivist. Um, I was curious if you could read uh, from, from that section on, uh, on page 13. It says, activism is taking action to change something from A to B. To create long-lasting social change, we need knowledge of A and B, a thoughtful strategy to get from A to B, and the curiosity to ask why injustices are happening. Activism needs to be curious, questioning where the power lies, and then using the power we have to change the status quo, structures and cultures that are causing the injustice. There are lots of different tactics in activism, but at its core, we are focusing on the, on the cause of the injustice and how to stop them from the root up or from as close to the root as possible. Well, I really appreciate Sarah. And I was, I mean, you heard in the interview, I was just taken aback by I guess the word's not thoughtful, but just how researched this entire concept of craftivism is and how deeply she has thought about preserving both the dignity of both parties, but also seeing actual change in the world. Because at the end of the day, if nothing's happening, then we're not doing anything. But they aren't just sitting there making crafts. They are making a very strong and bold statement in a language that is really both native to the to the crafter, but also to the person 
who is interacting with with this thing that they are making. And so on as someone who doesn't consider himself a crafter at all, I am certainly inspired and I hope that you are as well crafters and non-crafters alike. I would be remiss if I didn't say that you can start your own craftivist collective. The way you do it is first buy her book, How to Be a Craftivist, read it. It is really thorough and it will take you through I mean, I, I just hit on the very high points in our interview, but it will really take you through everything. And also go to her website, craftivist-collective.com. Great tips and tricks and instructionals there for how to start your own collective. And if you do, I would love to see pictures of what you're doing. You know, I create a podcast and it just kind of is an MP3 that gets released into the world and nothing is more gratifying and humbling than knowing that you have taken a next step because of something you heard on some show. And so if you end up starting a craftivist collective, take a picture, send it to me, post it. We would love to share those and just celebrate along with you. Also, a huge thanks to the brilliance who scored today's episode, tour dates, music, merch, all of that can be found at thebrilliancemusic.com. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Sarah Corbett, craftivists around the globe, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends.